Hey, this is Mike Missanelli, and you're listening to the Feed the Embiid, the number one Sixers podcast in America. Yeah, 2-1 on his jersey, playing like he's number one. Best big in the league, and it's no debate. Booze from the haters, point him to the exit. I guess every franchise needs its process. Every franchise needs its own process. Coming down the lane, yeah, watch your head, yeah. We post a every game, yeah, get your Kodak. Once he gets you under the basket, you better just pray. Hit you with the jab step, knock down, lock from Ben. Get out the way, and one, let the fans know it. Yeah, homie, let the fans know it. Watch the trailer, the three is going in your eye. If you mess, you better get back. Cause if them bees, there won't be a putback. Keep all that trash out of the paint. Cause them bees will put it back in your face. He's a cold blooded killer, and he take no prisoners. Yeah, dump off from TJ. Call it the feed to him, Good evening, everybody. This is the Feed to Embiid. I am your host, Austin Krell, along with my my partner in crime, uh, Brock Landis. Brock, how are you, my friend? We're in a hat today, I see. Yeah, today was a hat day. Uh, I wasn't <laughs> feeling the hair for the podcast, so I threw this hat on, and of course, the Phillies won today, so it makes even more sense. Got to do it. Um, mm-hmm. Lots, lots to discuss for the first, um, you know, the first uh, scrimmage in Orlando in the bubble. Sixers win it ninety to eighty three, and um, you know, I, I thought it was like <laughs> when they go twenty nine points, and and then uh, Memphis cuts it to like five or six. I'm thinking like oh, we're back. That's <laughs> like, right on cue. <laughs> yep. No, no, you feel like the uh, you're like you feel all the questions you have percolating in your head, settling in. Like, why are they doing this? Why aren't they doing that? Um, but in the end, they, they they I guess they get on the right track. Start off with a win, and um, Let's let's start off with with Ben Simmons. The obvious um, Ben Simmons had nine points, seven rebounds, nine assists, tracked a triple double in uh, in twenty two minutes played in his return. Also had three steals. I don't think we talked about the, th- the three steals enough. Um, they you know he he was aggressive early on, and he sort of displayed some of that. I mean, keep in mind so much of his defensive ability comes from his being long and athletic and able to disrupt passes and, and, and intercept entry passes in the post. And I thought he did a really good job of, of being sort of active, being everywhere and, and being a terror for, for Memphis's offense. Absolutely. And of course, Ben Simmons has three steals, but another thing I was pretty happy about was Matisse Thibel coming in and getting three steals and Thibel defensively looks just as good as any other wing or, or perimeter defender. And the unique thing about Philadelphia is that they have three or four point-of-attack defenders on defense at all times. And what I was watching for right as the game started was the defensive matchups. I tweeted prior to the game what happened last time Ben Simmons defended John Morant. And the Grizzlies only scored three points altogether as a team when Ben Simmons was defending John Morant. But with him moving to the forward, I assumed that defensive matchups are going to vary. And Ben Simmons was on Jaron Jackson, and I thought he did a really nice job defensively. It wasn't in the post so much, but he did a good job on defense around the elbows, preventing big men from even getting near the basket to take high-percentage shots. And for a player that's defended the point of attack and more specifically guards and and ball-dominant players for the previous two or three seasons, 
it was both a fresh, a, fre a breath of fresh air and interesting to see that Ben Simmons could play the forward position and defensively there was no regression. Yeah, I would have I would have liked to have seen them run a little bit more pick and roll with him at at, at the four, um, even because like Joel only played twelve minutes and Ben played twenty two. So I mean there was ample opportunity to run more pick and roll. Let's just see how that looks because they were successful with pick and roll with Ben as the as the as the the, the screener and the roller um, on numerous occasions over the course of this season. So they can find a way to integrate that into the offense. I mean, he, he's like a polo stick. Well, you know, if you once he gets into the paint, he's more aggressive. He just jumps up and and and, and oh, here's the basket. I'm going to lay this right in. Um, and so I think using that would even be you know, it's it's so rudimentary. It's so it's so it's so simple to integrate. Um, they should be able to to add that in. Um, let's let's jump over to Tobias Harris because he was sort of you know as much as we talk about literally every other sixer. He was uh, extremely effective uh, yesterday. He had 15 points on uh, 57, 58% true shooting. I did the math myself, subtle flex. Um, mm -hmm. But he had uh, 10 rebounds, two assists. Did have four turnovers. Um, he still doesn't seem as willing to shoot threes. He only took one three in 22 minutes played. But I thought he was just aggressive in hunting out shots against smaller defenders in the post, which is – you know, at the end of the day, it's kind of what you want him to do. I mean, he's a, he's going to create a little bit, um, but you know, he, he isn't going to be this like dynamic three point weapon off the dribble. He's sort of conservative with his three point shooting we've seen this year. And I, I, it was just like, it was refreshing to see him get to his spots and sort of be effective bullying smaller defenders. Yeah. I'm going to piggyback your statement there. And, with Philadelphia, the really unique thing is that they have four or five wings where they can run the pick and roll with. And Tobias Harris is one of those players. So you could see a potential pick and roll scenario with Joel Embiid as the role man or Ben Simmons as the role man. And to have a six eight forward and Tobias Harris be the ball handler in that scenario, it's really unparalleled because he's going to be able to hunt switches there. And you also alluded to it, hunting matchups and getting into the post when he has a defender smaller than him. Tobias does a great job of that, and yesterday is is a perfect example as to why Tobias Harris earned that contract. And in limited minutes yesterday, he was extremely effective in his own game, and he plays a grown man game. He's such a smooth basketball player. He hits his spots on the floor. He makes his shots in those spots. He hunts mismatches and exploits them really well. So I'm glad that Philadelphia has the thir the, the third superstar in Tobias Harris, although people may not agree with that statement. Nonetheless, Tobias Harris is a grown man's game. And yesterday is a perfect example as to why he got paid that, that five year, 180 million plus dollar contract. Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's, let's jump over to Ben, uh, to Joel Embiid. He played again, 12 minutes. Uh, his true shooting percentage, not as great. He was three of 10 from the field, only attempted two free throws. So that's going to, it's going to, you know, sort of uh, weigh down in the true shooting number there. But I thought that Joel was, it, it was really good to see him just sort of spry engaged on both sides of the basketball yesterday he was attentive and, and locked in on trying to protect the rim he did have um i don't think he had any blocks but he did have six rebounds in his 12 minutes played um and i thought he was just aggressively hunting his shots and you know he's spoken about it in the past like in the you know in the months leading up to the to the suspension you know i was in a bad frame of mind the first half of the year 
now I'm ready to go. I'm engaged. It's just going to be, you know, this is my team. Get out of the way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what I have to do to win games. Ten shots in 12 minutes is pretty aggressive. And I think the more aggressive you can get him, the more effective he can be, the more effective, the more engaged he'll be. And when he's engaged, he's virtually unstoppable. Um, now he did have two turnovers in those 12 minutes. So, you know, you would like to get that number down a little bit, but it's the first exposure he's really had to, you know, uh, double teams and defense and real defensive pressure in some time. Um, you know, I, I think if they can keep him like two turnovers per game in, in, in the seeding games, in the playoffs, I think he can really, really, really just, just one subtle tweak that he can make and could really change, you know, how this team plays and, and, and how effective they can be. I mean, how many times have they lost games because of his fourth quarter turnovers? Mm-hmm. Especially late in the fourth quarter, too. Right. Um, the thing with Joe is I, I don't really think it was rust that was an issue. And I will say Joe did come out looking in pretty damn good conditioning. Yeah. Uh, he played less than 13 minutes, but I think – you just have to get caught up to speed. And this is the first scrimmage, like you just said, so you don't want to overreact too much. And I think Brett wants to catch everybody back up to speed, so he's going to use these first few games to do so and even the regular season. But if what Brett Brown is saying is true about playing Joel Embiid 38 minutes a game, I think Joel is going to be one of the most dominant, unstoppable players in the NBA at full health. Now, Almost at NFL. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They have their own issues. He'd be now, a good center. <laughs> yeah. Um, with, with, with Joe, I think he is committed to being a floor spacer at times. I think that's why he's not necessarily getting in the post on certain possessions because he wants to help space the floor for everybody else there. But this Ben Simmons move to the forward, I I really think it benefits everybody. And we're going to talk more about that, but he was used in various ways in the half court, whether it be in the, in the corner, on the elbow, in the dunker spot. But I think the offense was really unlocked in the scrimmage in a way that Philadelphia fans are not accustomed to seeing. Uh, so you have Shake Milton, who's a 6'5 downhill attacking point guard, and he was put in the pick-and-roll scenario with multiple different players as well. So there was two-man game, two man games going on with Shake Milton and Ben Simmons. You had a Ben Simmons and Josh Richardson two-man game going on for a little bit. Tobias Harris was hitting his shots. And Joel Embiid and Al Horford – I mean, Austin, you tweeted about it. Brett Brown said he was committed to not playing them and he wasn't doing it during practice and and, and any of the revamps. And yet the first scrimmage back, Joel Embiid and Al Horford were sharing the floor. Um, But you and I had a brief conversation about it. If the players on the floor are utilized the correct way, it's not so bad. If you have Joel Embiid and Al Horford clogging the paint with Ben Simmons trying to facilitate and then penetrate in the paint – that becomes problematic. But if you have Al Horford opposite of Joel Embiid and you can run a two-man game with a guard and one of them or use one as a floor spacer and keep the other involved, I think it's only going to be more beneficial for the offense. So there's a lot of things I liked in this first scrimmage offensively. Yeah, it's like – why are you why are you using Ben as a facilitator? It didn't work the first sixty five games. It makes you think this time it's going to work. Exactly. <laughs> um, well, no, my point wasn't that. It was more on the lines of like like uh, Brett has said like to the media, like firsthand. Yes, I have not played them together yet. Here he is running them out there. Like, 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 like weren't you supposed to implement any kind of package you wanted to run with them in pack in practice? So that way in game, it isn't like, okay, here you go. Just run this, see how that works. So that, that didn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, 
And, you know, but I, I did like how Joel looked, um, you know, he, he, something that's kind of subtle with him. He opened up much better out of the screen and out of the pick and roll and was just popping jumpers. Um, he was settling a little bit for threes, but I think he was trying to do what you were saying. There was the floor spacing. Um, but you know, he, he, Joel is going to be Joel on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, he's, he's one has one some of the best footwork out of a big man we've seen in recent memory. Um, he, he can shoot it, but, the, but with him, the best of Joel Embiid comes on the defensive side of the ball, where there's essentially a lid on the rim whenever you go near the basket because he's not letting you get near it. Um, and I, you know, I, I think he's sort of made progress to, back towards that, um, you know, that identity. And I agree with you. I thought he looked like he was in really good shape, which is uh, wonderful to see, um, you know, for both us, the media, and you know, the, the fans. Um, let's hop over to Josh Richardson and Shake Milton. Um, I thought Shake was, you know, he, he wasn't like, like, you know, wowing you with, you know, like bucket after bucket. He, he was, you know, he was, he was effective in his 17 minutes of, of play. Um, three assists, only one turnover. That one turnover in 17 minutes for me is a big stat. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, it, the, the less that you can, he's turned the ball over and the more you're maximizing the value of your possessions, the better for this team because they need they, they they can't they can't have any shortage of of well used possessions. Um, you know they, they're they're not they're not built to score every time down. They're not going to. So when you turn the ball over, it's like they're giving it away. Um, mm-hmm. But I thought you know he six points, seventeen minutes, um, and he looked comfortable. He didn't look like he was second guessing himself. He wasn't shy. He wasn't like you know not taking shots that weren't th- that, that were there. He was letting the game come to him and he was playing within himself. And I think out, out of a point guard, especially one that was sort of, I guess, given the keys to the Ferrari and, you know, is a second round draft pick really doesn't have much experience at all in the NBA. I thought he responded really well to his first test and that he might, it's the first time he's ever played with that starting unit. So I thought you know, it was a really good start for shake and good to build on. Josh, not so much. I thought he kind of looked out of he – he kind of looked like he was out, out of place a little bit, he was sort of picking and choosing his spots, um, became more aggressive as the minutes sort of waned down and the game sort of progressed towards the end. He even popped a, a three like late. Like it was like just a, he, he kind of walked right into a three, missed it a little bit. Um, so I think he kind of struggled a little bit with the you know picking and choosing, finding his spots. But – you know, he, he. I thought he looked pretty good on defense. Um, he looked active. He looked engaged. And you know, I, I think his. I think the amount of production he has is probably going to sort of even or mellow out a little bit with with Shake back in that lineup, because that's you know another better shooting ball handling guard um, who is you know going to run a, a pretty heavy portion of the offense. What did you think of of, of Shake Milton and Josh Richardson? Yeah, so with Josh Richardson, I think the problem may become trying to find his role in this new look offense. And I say that because off of a live rebound, Ben Simmons is usually one facilitating. And in the half court, it was usually Ben Simmons. But if you take the ball out of Ben Simmons' hands and he's not shooting because prior to the stoppage of play, he wasn't taking threes and there's other problems with your offense, Josh was able to facilitate and almost run that offense in the half court. Uh, The problem now may become – if Ben Simmons is in the corner or if he's on the elbow and Joel Embiid is shooting as well as Tobias Harris shaking the two-man game, Josh is relegated to a lesser role than he had before. 
And I think him and Shake are very similar in their creativeness. They both have a quick first step. They have similar spots on the floor in which they're comfortable shooting the basketball. And they're crafty wing players. And they're very similar. But I think Shake is a little more efficient in the pick and roll. Josh has a history of running pick and roll. They did that a ton in Miami. But I think Shake gives you a better team option running the pick and roll or even the pick and pop. Like I alluded to earlier, he's downhill. So if Shake can get deep into the paint and kick it to a shooter or a cutter, I think that's more valuable than having Josh run the pick and roll and stopping at the free throw line or an elbow and shooting. And he did that a few times. He had a few mid-range shots uh, pulling up or coming off of the screen. But I think that Shake just gives you a little more offensively facilitating with the basketball. So Josh, I think he just needs to find his footing in this offense again. But with Shake, I'm enamored. And and one of the reasons I say that, and we have a couple of colleagues at TPL that did a good job breaking it down. And by the way, before you go any further, I see people, you know, viewers coming in. Make sure if you have questions, want to, want to add comments, type them up, put post them up. We'll be happy to respond to anything you got. We always love the support. Uh, also, make sure to review, uh, subscribe to us on Apple Pods. Leave a leave a nice review for Brock. For me, you can roast me. I don't care. Um, but um, yeah, just make, make sure you you know if you have, if you want to talk about anything, want us to discuss anything else. We can't we can't do it if we don't hear from you. So so give us feedback. Um, Brock, go ahead. So the thing I like about Shake Milton and what the Sixers almost kind of did a couple of times in yesterday's game was when Ben Simmons was at the elbow, they're almost running a DHO with Ben Simmons, a dribble handoff, except Simmons doesn't really have to do too much dribbling. So if he's on the elbow and that's where he catches the basketball and he has the ball you saw yesterday, a couple of players may hedge to help on the weak side to prevent Ben Simmons from getting to the basket and a dribble or two. And in hedging and getting onto that weak side, it opens up a shooter. And Shake Milton, a successful three-point shooter in college and the NBA as well, is able to get a little bit of space, get that handoff pass from Ben Simmons, and fire away from three. And that's a a wrinkle in the offense in which I don't think I've seen much of and I think could be really beneficial for Philadelphia. So thanks to Shake Milton facilitating and Ben Simmons playing a different role, I think Philadelphia can be a little even more efficient than they were before. Yeah, and you know, going off of like the Ben Simmons is the DHO, DHOer. <laughs> uh, um, he, you know, he even has this ability to sort of like he kind of like not, it's not like a, a stop or a fake, but his pace kind of like slows up a little bit, and it's sort of like a fake handoff, and then he'll turn and he'll just dive to the rim, and mm-hmm. you usually see it. There's like a window from you know on the strong side where he's going towards and the basket. So there's like a little window that opens up in the lane. He'll just fake that. And then he'll just dive right, right to the basket. Um, and, and, you know, so I think that can be effective as well, but I, I totally agree with you. Um, you know, I, I think it prevent, it, it presents a new dy- dynamic to the, to the game um, for both the, for both the backcourt guards. Uh, let's jump. I wanted to jump back to Ben Simmons. Cause I don't want to just ignore the obvious. Ben took two threes yesterday. Um, the first one was a little bit iffy, but I thought, you know, everyone was saying like he didn't hesitate. He, he obviously hesitated. I mean, he took, he took, he took like one jab step and said, eh, I'm going to fire this. And it was a little short. He thought about it and the thought thinking about it kind of cost him a little bit. Um, but you know, I, I thought that the movements that he did that were intentional where it was, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to enter this pass into the post and then I'm going to dive to the corner. He was doing it with intention and 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 with you know willingness, and he was look he was actively you know willing to take outside jumpers from the corner. So I think and I think Jason touched on this a little bit as well. But 
if that's like a play set or a new philosophy where they're entering the ball to the high post, he's diving in the corner, and then if nothing, and then if the, the play doesn't unfold towards him, he's just diving looking for the offensive rebound. I think that's something that can be very effective for the Sixers. Um, and, and and you know just 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 anything that he that they can sort of open up for him as a dimension to the half court offense is a huge win for them. Um, especially the last couple of years, considering he's basically a, you know a, a nothing in the half court um, if he's facilitating. Uh, what did you take from 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 Ben? You know, taking those two jumpers and then you know the way that he was playing in the half court. I think Ben Simmons is and and was the best player on the floor in yesterday's game, and I thought that was a clearly obvious. Uh, with Ben Simmons, he's such a unique player that there's really nothing he can't do on the basketball court. At the top of the show, we talked about defensively how he was playing at the four and preventing guys from getting high percentage shots at the basket. But offensively, he did almost everything you can do on the basketball court yesterday. He was playing at the elbow and assisting from the elbow. He was playing in the corner and he attempted two shots from the corners. And even attempting two shots is enough, in my opinion. As long as you can pose a threat of jump shooting or even making that shot and pull a defender out, it makes things easier for the four other players in your team on the floor. So the fact that he had the willingness in this first scrimmage to shoot, it's awesome. But am I getting my hopes up as of right now? No. I went to the first preseason game and Ben Simmons made a three-point shot there, and then he attempted less than five for the rest of the season, I believe. So, of course, I want him to shoot, but is it something that I'm going to get used to as a staple in the Sixers' offense? No, not until I see it. Uh, But nonetheless, he showed that he could step out to the corner and do that. He was in the dunker spot, and I think Simmons in the dunker spot is awesome, especially with a guy like Josh or Shake Milton, because if they can get their defender that deep into the post or if they could even get past their defender and somebody plays help, Ben Simmons wide open the dunking spot is unstoppable. I mean, he has the athleticism similar to a Blake Griffin or a Zion Williamson cutting or rolling to the basket, so getting in front of that's not easy. Offensively, he did those things for the team, but with the basketball as a facilitator, I really don't think there's many better passers in the NBA than Ben Simmons. He had that no-look alley-oop pass to Tobias Harris. He had a dribble fake pass. I mean, he's just so, so skilled and and, and athletic with the basketball. It's it's, it's literally poetry in motion. You see his head fakes, his shoulder movements, his footwork, all in one motion. It's, it's, It's just beautiful. That's as simple as that to me. So I thought Ben was the best player on the floor yesterday. But I also think people need to wake up with Tobias Harris because he also had a great game, a grown man's game, and he too had a couple of good shoulder fakes and in-and-out moves. And if if the Sixers offense can hit like that every single night, it's going to be tough to beat them. But then again, Austin, Memphis sucks, man. Memphis is terrible. (laughs) They looked like the team at the rec league that just met each other for the first time yesterday. (laughs) Well, the Sixers, of course, and – Listen, Memphis is young. They're 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 inexperienced, and they were gonna probably make the playoffs. But I thought Dame was gonna come and hurt some feelings a month or two before the season ended. And Memphis now they're at the bubble. I don't know what they're gonna do. They're a young team, but but I will say that whenever Memphis has played the Sixers this season, John ja Morant has looked lost. And and I'm a Ja fan, but he just looks lost when he plays the Sixers. Yeah, they had um. They had 19 turnovers yesterday. Six had 16. Mm-hmm. It, it felt like when people were saying, you know, like like other defenses swarming, you know, they're, they're really getting out in transition. Memphis was turning the ball over with bad decisions, with bad passes. Mm-hmm. They were a step late, a step too fast. They were very out of sync, and that was why the Sixers were getting easy turnovers off of Memphis. Um, 
but you know, we'll, we'll, we'll let people think what they want to think. Uh, the defense was great. Sure, it was great. It was phenomenal. Um, never mind the fact that they blew a 29-point lead, but that's, you know, it's whatever. Um, let's jump over to the bench now. Um, let's talk with Al Horford. I am very concerned about Al Horford. I mean, like, he, in 18 minutes, five points. Um, he didn't – he was still missing shots that he is would never miss in Boston. There were layups, places the rim that he wasn't finishing on, and you know it was it was sort of like I thought he was going to be back, and maybe maybe it's the utility that he has within Brett Brown's offense. Maybe a new head coach next year, that thing looks a little different. Maybe it's a little more comfortable. Maybe he's not here next year. Um, who knows? But five points, five rebounds in eighteen minutes. I thought he looked. I thought his outside shot looked a little better. But other than that, I mean. I think there's something to be concerned about there because everyone's saying he's you know he's healthier now. He was still missing plays that someone you know even if they're healthy shouldn't be some someone of his caliber who is healthy doesn't really miss and he's certainly damn well didn't miss him in Boston. That I can understand, especially for a guy that's been in the league 13 plus years. But I do think he was moving a lot better. I, I mean. Yeah. To me, I noticed that he was jumping a little more. He was crashing the rebound, the crashing the glass a little better, and he just looked like he had he had more of a pep in his step during this game. So it could have been an injury that he was battling throughout the first duration of 2019, 2020. But something that I'm looking forward to seeing because this was only one scrimmage is how Brett Brown utilizes Al Horford, and we saw him in a package with Joel Embiid. But I think there's ways that he could be utilized that can help the 76ers. And in a piece that I worked on. I looked at the Sixers roster last season from when they played Toronto and Brooklyn in the playoffs, and Greg Monroe, Boba Marjanovic, and Jonah Bolden all played over 75 minutes in the NBA playoffs for the Sixers last season. Okay, so Philadelphia has exactly a better backup center. They might right. That's what you need, right? So if Philadelphia has potentially a better backup center last year, they may not get wiped by Toronto in that series. But this is Wipe's a, a tough season. term. Wipe is a little bit of, a, of an they, odd they, term. They battled. They battled. I didn't mean that. Seven game series. I didn't, I didn't mean it with implications like they got wiped, but they 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 got sent home crying, unfortunately. <laughs> now, I, I I don't I don't know if if a backup center is the solution to Philadelphia's problems this year. If they if they're in the playoffs, if that's a problem or not. But what I think Philadelphia can do with Al Horford is something that he's done exceptionally well for the duration of his entire career. And that's picking pops. And if Brett Brown is truly committed to getting this team to run two-man games in their half-court set and stick with picking pops and picking rolls, Al Horford is a perfect complimentary piece for a guy like Josh or a guy like Shake or a guy like Tobias. Um, but but that remains to be seen. I don't know if that's a wrinkle Philadelphia's gonna include in their offense, but I hope it's one they do add. Yeah. Someone yesterday mentioned that, like his defense didn't look like he looked a little slow on defense. I thought, I mean, he's never going to really look fast and spry yeah. on defense anymore. He's just not, he's, it's, it's natural decline of, in, your, in your body as a 33 year old NBA player. What he did do is he's able to sort of toe behind players and disrupt them mentally. And so that way, like, like they weren't fully comfortable taking shots. And as a result, misses were coming out of it. There were times where he got beat to the rim, but his presence was felt and that forced, you know, a a lack of concentration and missed layups out of it. So even if he's getting beat, he can still be effective as a defender and and as an anger at the rim. And then against the bigs, you know, he's historically one of the great defensive players against bigs we, we have in the NBA. 
Um, let's hop over to for, to uh, Matisse Thibel. Very impressive showing from Matisse yesterday. Mm-hmm. Even though the shot was a little bit uh, wild at times, um, I thought he looked confident, really confident. Uh, he was, you know, a, a swiper, no swiping, or sw- swiper, no swiping, fo- whatever the hell it is, the fox from Dora the Explorer. Oh, it's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, he, he, you know, he, but he had three fouls in, uh, or no, he had three, three steals. He had three steals. Yeah, had blunder for their live camera. Okay, um, in in like eighteen minutes, sixteen minutes of play. Um, so he was back to his old stuff. And I think most importantly, he only had one foul in those 16 minutes. That's a massive, massive sign for the Sixers. You can keep him to, you know, most efficient defensive play where he's not committing endless fouls, the better. That's just another, there's more depth you can have at your wing spots. But I thought you know, that, that dunk on um, on Jaron Jackson Jr. was filthy. I wrote about that today. Um, and, you know, I think that's something that he's sort of, been groomed from Ben Simmons on is, you know, aggressive when you attack the rim, not being afraid of contact and, you know, finishing over guys. I, I think he did a really, you know, I, I was, I was very pleased by that, by that done. I thought it was a good sign that he has really worked on his handle some. Um, it, it, he's a little more athletic than maybe he, he was coming in. He's a little more in control and he, you just, you know, he's, he's not afraid and I think it's a massive, massive sign if you can get him cutting off ball like that, and he can become an alley oop finisher. That's huge for them. Any kind of depth you can get off the bench from him is, is massive. Yeah, you said a word I like there, uh, pace. And and Matisse Thibel, I really like the pace in which he plays at. Uh, in the NBA, especially for rookies, one of the problems is learning the pace of the game. How to pace yourself if you're going to play a full defensive possession and then run and play a full offensive possession. How do you continue a pace like that throughout the entire game? Matisse Thibel plays at a very calm pace on both ends of the floor. And defensively, I really haven't seen a kid as young as he is that came out of college and and been so successful on the defensive end. He was one of few players to have 80-plus steals and 40-plus blocks. I believe it was only five players in the NBA to do it, and he was one of them. And he is continuing to prove why defensively he is a really good defender. I mean, not only is a good point of attack defender, but – off the basketball, he's just like having a Rocco around. He plays real good help defense. He's always active. His hands are always up. He fills passing lanes well, and he doesn't have to be facing the basketball to get a steal or come up with a, a forced turnover. So I love Matisse Thibel. His motor's high, and offensively, he's got a nice little package. The, the shooting is definitely not there right now. He needs to work on that, of course. But if he can add off-ball movement, like you just said, that's another added bonus. I was going to talk about Glenn Robinson and his potential impact and as a complimentary piece with Ben Simmons in transition. But if Matisse Thibel can be that off-ball cutter or he can come around a screen and catch an alley pass, something like that, I think it's a part of Thibel's game that, that's going to force him to become more multidimensional. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think you know people sort of misconstrue the meaning of like team defender versus individual defender. A lot of guys like Covington – are not great individual defenders. They can get beat on ball pretty pretty badly at times. Um, but all, there are guys who are who can sort of mask that by being exceptional team defenders, by being in that right position and help often, rotating over when the ball swings to the, to the weak side of the court, comes back to the strong side, uh, hands in the path lanes, creating open court steals. Those are the kind of things that really good team defenders do, and that's something that he can do pretty easily. Um, and so, you know, I think – 
he, you're right. I do see that that Covington in, in him for sure. Um, let's go over to Furkan Korkmaz. I was really, really, really impressed by Furkan. Um, I thought he didn't miss a beat. Uh, his shot was from the go, you know, spot on from where it usually is. He was moving well off ball. Yeah, uh, there was like a play where he missed a shot, got uh, you know, and then then got the offensive rebound, and then Furkan was already in the cutting in the lane to receive it back for a floater. Um, I thought he just looked aware, intuitive, um, and, the, and the, the game came to him organically. He had seven points on three of seven shooting in 12 minutes, and you know, they're, they're going to need his, uh, you know, his ability to space that floor and you know, even be a, a little bit of like that Bellinelli that, that, you know, that we saw a couple of years ago, but also they talk about in practice. They, we said, they said that to the media a couple of days ago that, that they envisioned him in that Bellinelli mold. And I think he has the gravity as a shooter where he can sort of fly through the air and, and at all different angles and, and get off three-point shots. You know, there are guys that like like a Jason Capono or like a Ryan Brokoff who who don't have the gravity to, you know, where they just have to, go, they have to go up and elevate, you know, uh, vertically and straight down. Straight down, straight up and down. Guys like JJ Redick and Bellinelli and 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 Furkan, they can have incredibly difficult angles. They can come off screens and 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 you know they're they're flying around and they can get that shot off in air. I mean, how many times have we hit? Have we seen JJ Redick hit unbelievably difficult fading threes and get fouled? It's because he has gravity as a shooter. He he has the ability to 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 be you know juggle contact um, awful you know not awful but you know off angles. And still make shots, and I think Furkan has that. It's just a matter of finding that consistency. Yeah, the thing I liked about Furkan yesterday was his willingness to score, or or at least create shots. And I noticed this from Tobias Harris as well. When there wasn't a true point guard facilitating in the half court set, or Ben Simmons wasn't the one facilitating, Tobias Harris had the basketball in his hands a lot. And in the second unit, that player was Furkan Korkmaz, and seven field goal attempts for Korkmaz, only making three. May not seem like the best, but some of those attempts were really good looks. I mean, he was dribbling the basketball to a spot, coming around a screen. He was getting past his defender. He was being more creative than I'm used to seeing. And for a player that may be perceived as strictly a catch-and-shooter or somebody that may just come around screens, I thought his effort to create was awesome. And the most notable play from yesterday's game in what was a pretty simple play I think demonstrates how good the Philadelphia 76ers could be provided that their roster is constructed the right way. And it was early in the game. I, I believe it was right when Furkan checked in. Ben Simmons gets the basketball off of live rebound, dribbles down all the way into the paint, deep into the paint, like three or four feet away from the basket, pulls the defender in the corner to play help defense, finds a wide open Furkan Korkmaz in the corner, and right on cue, Korkmaz now is the three. I think that exemplifies how good Ben Simmons is, yeah. and, and that's why he led the NBA in the most assisted three-point shots uh, that, that were successfully made. But also, I like Furkan's ability to shoot, and I thought his willingness to create was something uh, that was noteworthy yesterday. Yeah, and you make a really, really, really good point about the Ben Simmons thing with that play. A lot of people think that that's him like, like getting scared and shutting off in the middle of the lane and like turning and trying to pass. It's not that. It's – He's trying to pull – he has a play in mind and a player he wants to hit, and he has to get them open. So what he does is he gets in as far as he can to the – and knifes into the you know to the heart of the defense, makes them commit and help and come over to stop him because you're not going to give him a dunk. And then he says, okay, now I have my guy open. I'm going to kick it to him. 
a lot of times we've seen Ben stop in that lane and then turn around and pass. And then people are like, what are you doing? You need more aggressive. You need to go to the hole. The play he has envisioned isn't about him being aggressive or, or, or getting to the rim. It's about, okay, I want to get this guy a look. I, you know, he, he, I want to get him engaged, get him going. I got to pull his defender away from him as far as possible so that way oh, he can get a clean look. And that includes, that entails me, you know, getting into the, in, into the guts of, of the interior. So they have to commit to me and help and then kicking to him. So be it. And, you know, it, it takes a you know it takes a higher level of understanding to see where that that's where his mind is at times, and I thought yesterday that was a play that exemplified that for sure. Um, I want to go over to, to Glenn Robinson and Alec Burks now. Um, mm-hmm. I wrote I wrote yesterday that I thought Alec Burks would be taking on a, a lesser role um, because now you have not only do you have two shot creators in, in the rotation and um, well, you have, not only do you have an additional shot creator now in um, in, in um, Shake Milton, but you also have you know, multiple guys who can facilitate and create shots. And Alec Burks, it, he sees the basket, and he's a green light guy. He, he's looking to score. And when you had that that singular dimension to your game, you only had one dimension to it. Why should you get playing time when they have a guy who can they have guys who can facilitate, absorb an entire court, and then pinpoint and pick the right play to make? I thought he came in last night, was really effective in being efficient, wasn't jacking up shots, was letting the offense come to him. I thought that he showed that he could be operational as a pick-and-roll shot creator. I agree with you there, Austin. And I think part of our conversations prior about Alec Burks were about the same thing in that he may not be the best available player on the Sixers bench in terms of team offense. So he may not give you the best team look and he may not give you the best team pass but he can generate his own instant offense. Oftentimes that's good, but it may not suit the 76ers well. What I looked for yesterday was Alec Burks in the half-court offense, what his role would be. Is he going to be handling the basketball? Is he going to be put in the pick and roll? At 6'6", he has a lot of size over his opponents. And I liked what I saw from Alec Burks. He's another guy who I don't want to compare to Tobias Harris, but he knows what to do in the half-court. He was among the top eight guard scorers and post-up points during the regular season. He was efficient on dribble handoffs. He was good cutting. So he does a lot offensively. It's just getting him to buy in to what the team wants. And yesterday, I think Alec Burks did a good job doing that. And I think his spirits may be, may be a little higher now that he, he has another opportunity to showcase his skill set and he can play for a more lucrative contract here in Philadelphia. For, for Philadelphia. sure. For sure. And I – and I want to I want to come back to that the chemistry I thought was noticeable as well. Um, Glenn Robinson, I thought, um, you know, I would like to see him be a well. He was pretty aggressive. He took, he took six shots, but he talked on Monday about how he wants to go up against the the the, the best you know the, the best wings and prove that he can guard and you know ha- have a chance to help the team there. Um, you know, he he made his one three. I I think he. He, he can be a really valuable three and D player to this team who is also very good and excels at cutting off ball. He made a really good cut yesterday and got a nice, got, it was like a reverse dunk that, that, he, that he pulled. I think it was like a Josh um, I, a guy on the Grizzlies um, missed, missed like a jumper. Um, and, you know, uh, the, the outlet to Simmons and then Simmons to Robinson on right under the basket. He cuts off ball and, and gets, gets a great dunk out of it. Just someone who can, who, who can, hit threes and cut like that is so valuable to this team. It's efficient. It's, it's quick, it's quick, efficient offense. And the more that he can defend, 
um, and you know prove that he can defend two through um, three, maybe even a little bit of two through four if they're going small, is, is paramount for the Sixers. And you're right. If, if, Glenn, if, if, if Alec Burks can find that juice that he had in Golden State and that sort of that will to play and have fun with it and, and find a reason to, to, to want to help the Sixers win, um, he could really help himself out this summer for sure. Glenn Robinson, too. I mean, he had a career year in Golden State, so getting traded to Philadelphia was not the greatest thing financially for him, but you have to make the best of your situation, and I think Glenn Robinson is committed to doing that for Philadelphia. Uh, his his commitment to off-ball movement is why I think he's so special for the 76ers offense. You already talked about it, potentially cutting back door, getting out in transition. Doing those types of things can just open things up for Philadelphia, and it's not even like you have to call a play or you have to set something up. He just has to make one cut past the defender, and that's a basket there. That could help your team out immensely. So his commitment to off-ball movement offensively is great. And given that he's a low-maintenance player, he doesn't need the basketball to make his impact felt. I think he's even more of an added bonus to this Philadelphia team. But defensively, Austin, you said something interesting, defending multiple positions for Glenn Robinson. And that's I really like the approach Philadelphia has taken this season in going positionless. Shake Milton talked about it in an interview two days ago about the positionless basketball wave right now, and Philadelphia is employing that wave. Now, I think it's it, it, for certain teams it may work better than other teams, and Philadelphia definitely has a size advantage, so it can work. Uh, but if you look at Philadelphia's roster, one through four on their starting five right now is positionless. And when you go to their bench, there's four or five positionless players. And if you look at the players they deployed defensively at one through three last year, I mean, it wasn't great. TJ McConnell and JJ Redick were both on the floor defending significant defending guards for significant minutes in the playoffs. Now in 2019, according to the basketball index, they were both among the top five easiest defensive possessions of players to log at least 1000 minutes. So you sacrifice shooting in JJ Redick, of course, and, you lose TJ as well, but defensively, the the Sixers are so much better now, and, and they're so much flexible. And the first thing I noticed right from tip-off was how difficult it was for Memphis to match up with Philadelphia. So imagine a team like Boston or a team like Miami, the difficulty they may have having to line up with a 6'5 point guard, a 6'6 shooting guard, a 6'8 small forward, a 6'10 power forward that no other forward can stay with on the wing, and Joel Embiid. It's a defensive nightmare for teams that don't have that type of size, and it's on the bench and the starting lineups as well for Philadelphia. So I, I love the approach they've taken going positionless. Let me ask you this, though. Yeah, you make a good point about like J.J. and, and T.J. Like they're, they're undersized, and they can't really hang with, with, with offensive players in the NBA, but isn't the value – can't, can't the value of, 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 of guys buying into defense be just as value, just as effective as a guy who is a better defender but doesn't buy in? Because I don't know that I believe every guy on the Sixers buys into defense. I believe that J.J. at least tried. I believe that T.J. for sure bought in. And I'm not saying that, that, that you know, like I miss – you know, or that you know, anyone should miss those, the, the days of, of T.J. and J.J. playing defensive possession together. It sounds, like, it sounds horrible, but – I, I don't know that you – know, I think there's something to be said for a guy who isn't a great defender but buys in. 
compared to a guy who doesn't buy in but can be but is a better defender has better defensive potential. See, I'm I'm inclined to disagree, and that's just because I, I I've seen years of JJ and TJ running around screens and chasing opposing guards and fouling guards before they can even get the pass coming around the screen or fouling them as soon as they shoot coming around the screen. Whereas now you have defenders that can get blocks off of baskets when players come around the screen or stick in front of their defenders. So I think the difference is I'd rather have a defender that can stay in front of uh, stay in front of his opponent as opposed to a defender that can stay on the hip of his opponent. And I think with JJ and TJ, that's a lot of what you got. And also teams prepare for that. So so teams might say we're going to run the pick and roll every single possession tonight because we can just exploit this mismatch. Or in the fourth quarter, if you need a bucket and you got Ben guarding one of your primary players and Joe guarding your other primary players, chances are if you're that deep in the playoffs, you have a, a third score. You can just get that third score of the basketball provided they're guarded by a player like TJ and JJ and say, get a bucket. And there's little to no resistance because you can't play help and you can't switch off or else the next man's going to get a bucket and, and Ben can't be guarding him or Joe can't be guarding him. So I, I think that I would rather have a capable defender than a defender that's willing to defend. And and I think that was just years worth of defensive liabilities that this season are getting erased because you have, you've guys that can legitimate play in the defender. Or the uh, perimeter. My apologies. Yeah, no, it's a, it's it's a valid opinion. Um, I want to go back to the what you said about you know uh, the chemistry and guys looking happier. I agree with you. I thought that they all looked much happier to be around each other, and they looked you know happy about the opportunity to go to Orlando and play together win a championship. And this team is only going to be as good as the guys that buy, that buy in and are, that are there because we saw how how they, how bad they could be. When, you know, when they weren't all content, when they weren't all functioning together at a ma- at a maximum engagement level, and we see what they are, you know, what they what they can be when they are all engaged and they're all, you know, happy, they're all succeeding. They're, it's it's two polar opposite teams, and I thought yesterday they, they looked like they were talking to each other. They they looked they looked like they were having fun. They were laughing, smiling, and that's that's about as positive of a sign as you could pull from from that scrimmage. If there's anything to pull at all yeah i thought they had a lot of fun and it looked like a completely different team and maybe this trip to orlando was what bonded them and you're going to be spending a lot i mean they're in the same hotel they're all on the same floor they they go to the lounge together so you're spending a lot of time with your teammates and i think because of that they're going to grow a lot of friendships out of this and they're going to become a lot stronger as a unit i mean north pell hit that corner three and you got the seven-two big fella Joe jumping over the freaking uh, whatever the hell you want to call that the gate, jumping over that, celebrating. They're all high-fiving each other when Ben hit his three. Everybody was happy. I saw Alec Burke smile a couple of times, which uh, which that, was, that was, was a rare sight. I was like, wow, he has emotions. <laughs> yeah, and 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 I just I think the team has really bought into to winning a championship here. They're here as a, a business trip, and they're here to win the championship. And another thing that I think united this team was the social justice awareness. There's a lot of wrong going on in this world. And the one commonplace for Philadelphia is their passion for social justice and the death of Breonna Taylor. It's, it's so unfortunate. Uh, But Tobias Harris is very outspoken about it. Matisse Thibel, Ben Simmons, a lot of players on Philadelphia are very involved in, in, in raising awareness for social justice. And I think that's another thing that may have bonded this team even closer. So 
I, I, I was I was definitely encouraged by the chemistry I saw on the court and off the court with Philadelphia. Now the next big test for them that I think we we definitely haven't talked about yet. Anyone to talk about is what is that lineup of Shake, Josh, Tobias, Ben, Joel look like against the zone? How how how, how do you how do you mm-hmm. You know what do you what do you do in a zone? Do you go three out two in? Do you go four out one in? Um, you know I, I think that's going to be a really interesting test for them, and I wonder if you know if opponents are going to um, you know how long they'll ride with the zone that the Sixers are hitting. Yesterday the Sixers were, were were you know they were hitting pretty well on on their on their shots, and you know and as a result you know the the, the Grizzlies were never really in the game long enough to even engage them in a zone, but that's going to be a huge test for them. And 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 how does how does Shake Milton, um, you know, react to that? Yeah, that's the thing I was thinking about yesterday. Uh, I believe Dallas ran two three against Philadelphia when they played. Boston right. ran two three. Miami, Miami ran two three. So Philadelphia is definitely going to have to face that two three zone. Um, with the current starting five, I think they go four out one in. If there's two bigs on the floor at the same time, like Horford and Joe, then I think it's three out two in. But with this starting five, I think they go four out one in. I just don't know who the zone buster is in that case because you'd, you'd probably have to work a little harder to get Shake Melton his shots if he's playing point guard against those teams because he's going to be battling against smaller guards, Jimmy Butler, Marcus Smart, people like that. Um, so, so I really think you need to find out who your zone buster is going to be, uh, shooting the basketball, and then after you figure out what that is, then you could kind of work around. But the two-man game, it's going to be harder to run against the 2-3 zone. So you have to see how that affects Philadelphia. I also think that the high-low game is certainly something to explore with, you know, if you're going if you're going four out, one in, like you said, the high-low game with Joel or Horford and, um, and Ben can be a huge bonus because Ben's comfortable with that little mid-post area hook shot. Um, and you have two passers at, at, the, at the big man spot who are capable of de- delivering passes. So I think you know, that, that high-low game is something to explore. And I think it's worth exploring. If they go zone, do you take Josh out of the lineup and put in Furcon? So it's Shake, Furcon, Ben, Tobias, Joel, or you know Horford. Um, just, just to maximize the spacing you have on that court and with the shooting – um, you know, a team isn't going to sit in zone for an entire game if you're making mm-hmm. shots. They're only going to do it if you can't, you know, if you, if you suddenly fall into a black hole offensively. Yeah, and the problem Philadelphia had prior against the 2-3 zone was if Ben Simmons is your primary facilitator and he dribbles into the heart of the paint, it's packed. There's five guys there. And the problem with that is that you can't kick it to anybody because nobody could shoot. Al Horford couldn't shoot. Tobias wasn't knocking those shots down. Josh was battling injury. So you really need to figure out who your zone buster is or multiple players, who it's going to be, and then figure out if they're not making their shots, what can we do to, to beat this zone? Then you explore, explore, explore with the high low. Uh, but Ben playing at the elbow was incredible. He got a couple assists out of the elbow. I believe he, he had what nine assists in the first half, or, or something yeah. like that. Yep. Um, so, so that's so that's something to to watch for against zones. If Ben might play that high, Joe might play that low. But you raise an interesting point. If teams do go zone, uh, who is the primary zone buster? And you need three point shooting. So Josh might have to sit on the bench for Furcon. Maybe Josh has the hot hand. 
Uh, that's it's all something that remains to be seen, but there's definitely a bunch of ways that Philadelphia can combat the two-three zone at least better than they were able to prior. Right. And uh, my other question for you is this: What do you think their closeout lineup looks like in a playoff series? If it's a close game, do you go? Do, do you go shake Josh, Tobias, Ben, Joe, or do you go Joe, Al, Ben, Josh, Tobias? Are you closing out with the lead or do you need the lead? That's a good question. <laughs> Ooh, I don't know. I had to tie it up. If, if, okay, okay, that's tough. I really don't want Al Horford on the floor. I, I, I really don't want him on the floor, especially with two dudes that are over 6'10. I think Matisse Thibel could be really helpful in a closing lineup. Okay. Honestly, yeah. I, I think he could be. Uh, if, if, if the offense is stagnant, I can understand why you need a player like Alec Burks or Furkan Korkmaz in the closing lineup, but I think Matisse Thibel could be really helpful. Uh, ben Simmons and Joel Embiid can hold down their own defensively. Tobias as well. And if you point out to Shake Milton, that leaves one player on the floor. And I think the best player to put in that, in that spot right there would be Matisse Thibel. It just makes sense defensively more than it does for any other player. And offensively, I mean, yeah, Furkan Korkmaz is shooting that last shot, but if you have Joe, Ben Simmons, Shake, and Tobias on the floor, I don't think you need to be relying on that fifth player to get you your bucket. So I think you sacrifice defense for offense in that situation. And by default, I would just take Matisse over everybody there. Yeah. Um, let's hop over to Brett Brown for a second. Was there, was there something, anything that you liked about the way that about anything he did yesterday? Uh, yeah. I, I, I loved his commitment to the pick and roll. That was my favorite thing. That's the, all I've wanted to see in the past few seasons was just some sort of semblance of a half-court offense. And I, I saw a lot of movement yesterday. I saw screens that weren't just on-ball screens. I saw off-ball screens. I saw a lot of guys moving and cutting back door. There was a lot of movement, and, and I really liked that. So while Philadelphia came out a little slow in the first couple of minutes of the game, they didn't really run anything offensively. They were just kind of getting their, their, their win back and everything. I think Philadelphia was committed to running that pick and roll later in the game. And I saw people on Twitter today saying that the reason Philadelphia hasn't been able to is because they haven't had a guard good enough to complement a two-man game. They, they, they've been working with Markell or TJ McConnell, Jimmy Butler, not good ball handlers in the pick and roll scenario. So I don't know if Brett did that now because Shake Melton is capable of doing that, but nonetheless, I loved his willingness to, to run the pick and roll. And again, it was the first scrimmage. So, you, you can't really take away too much from this scrimmage and the starting lineup didn't play past half half time. I mean, Joel Embiid played 12 minutes. So these types of things change the, the, the outcome of the game. I never really thought the game was in jeopardy, uh, but I, I did like his, his willingness to get the pick and roll going and he didn't start out Horford, which is what we've been begging for, for an entire season. Well, I'll say that same time you can play Joel Embiid 12 minutes in a game and not have him be injured and you still win. Yeah. That's, that's, a, that's a win, yeah. Um, one thing I wanted to bring your attention because you brought up the handoffs uh, with, 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 with uh, you know, in the, in the past couple of years. One thing that I can't wrap my head around is the fact that the Miami Heat have led the NBA in handoff plays the last two, the last two seasons with Josh Richards at, at, at the helm. And the Sixers were in the top two or, th- you know, the, the top five, ten for, for handoffs with Redick. Then as soon as you let Reddick go, and as soon as you bring in Josh, Miami's still top of the league. Sixers are down to like middle of the pack. 
So why would you go away from the dribble handoff when Miami had success with that in seasons past? Why would you – and that's, that's such a part of the offense that Joel was comfortable with, that Ben was comfortable with, that they had become so used to. Even if you don't have a great shooter there, it's something that has worked for Miami in the past couple seasons. And then you go away from that if you're when you're Brett Brown. That's something that I'd bring back into the offense now that you're in the bubble and you've had time to incorporate it. Yeah, I think they're going to bring back the DHO, but it's tough because there's a lot of shooters and, and a lot of players that can get an easy bucket on the floor for Philadelphia. So uh, contrary to their normal offense, which was usually just Ben Simmons penetrating, right now with, with, with more of a semblance, I think you're going to see a lot of DHOs. And we talked earlier what Ben Simmons might be able to do in the elbow situation from giving the DHO to Shake Milton or a guy like Josh. But I, I think it's also that J.J. Redick is a marksman. And yeah. Josh Richardson isn't necessarily a great three-point shooter. He's he's pretty pedestrian from beyond the arc, but he he's a creator. A lot of his field goals are made unassisted, so it, it just didn't make sense, in my opinion, to put Josh Richardson in a DHO situation where he would be the primary shooter. And I think Brett Brown also believes that, which is why they haven't done it much. But I don't know. Another thing is that pe- people have been criticizing Joel Embiid in the pick-and-roll scenario. I mean, other than being maybe a lazy screener or slow to roll to the basket, I don't really think that requires much. You, you kind of just got to set your screen and move. So I, speaking, I, I I hear the criticism, but I don't really think it's going to derail the offense. Speaking of lazy screens, did you see the screen that Burke set in the DHO for Thibault yeah. in that new play? Yeah. Oh, my God. That was abhorrent. It was like it, it was the laziest little like he didn't even touch him on the screen. He was like leaned in and then like, kind of faded out to the side. Like 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 it was awful. Well, <laughs> like, that's on the screen. I, I think with the evolution of basketball and how good people are getting at shooting the ball. I mean, I if I had to watch Joel Embiid and Jonas Valanciunas chuck up any more threes, I was going to turn the game off. But because of how skilled people are shooting the basketball now, the defense hasn't really learned how to adapt. So what you'll see are these lazy ass screens. Like even with Ben Simmons on on the DHO, it's kind of like you hand the ball off, and then you just you put your body in the way, and guys don't even want to run run around you. They no, they're don't. more content just taking the foul or running into you than fighting through it and, and getting the hand up. So people are succeeding from beyond the arc because they get that little that little window right there to get their shot off. Uh, but yeah, I, I have noticed that screens have become a lot lazier. Throughout the NBA, it's not just a Sixers problem. For sure. Well, he's Brock Landis. I am Austin Krell. Find us on Twitter, Landis Brock, Krell TPL. Um, We'll be back tomorrow with another episode after the conclusion of the Oklahoma City scrimmage. Um, Brock, any parting shots? Uh, No, see you tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow I'll have some. (laughs) All right. He's Brock Landis. I'm Austin Krell. As always, thank you for listening to tuning in to the Feed to Embiid live now. Um, Stay safe, everybody. Have a good night.